Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Stay tuned. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about the IRSW8 forms. Can you create a substitute W8 form or should you create a substitute W8 form? Let's find out. Welcome to episode 27. Can you switch to a substitute IRS form W-8? So as I discussed in my blog post, tracking IRS form W-8 expiration dates, collecting the right IRS W-8 form, whether it's the W-8 Benny, the W-8 Ben, the W-8 ECI, the W-8 EXP, and the W-8 IMY for foreign vendors is way more complex than the IRS form W-9. And in addition to the potential for tracking expiration dates, which is why I wrote the blog in the first place, and by the way, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but in addition to the tracking of expiration dates that you don't have to do with an IRS Form W-9, with the significant changes in the IRS W-8 forms in the recent years, they really are or they can be difficult to understand and complete for both the accounts payable team member that needs to send them to the vendor to complete and then also for even the vendor to understand what they need to do with those forms and which one they need to fill out and how they need to complete it. So does the IRS, similar to the way that they allow a substitute W-9 form, does the IRS allow substitute W-8 forms? And if they do, can they really help in either the process or with the understanding of how to fill out the forms and then really with your um, return rate of those forms? And you've probably already guessed by now that the answer is yes. Otherwise, why would I do a podcast? But what's really great is not not only is the answer yes, but the IRS allows you to substitute not one, not two, but all five forms and to combine them on one form. Now they do have very specific instructions, as you can imagine, dictating the content that needs to be included from each of those IRS W-8 forms and the requirements and the restrictions surrounding the vendor um, signature or certification. Additionally, the IRS will allow you to combine those W-8 forms 
into an existing form which opens the door to include the information from your current vendor setup as part of that substitute W8 form or if you don't have a current vendor setup form you can add additional fields that you want to um, uh, collect so great examples is you can add fields to collect the 1042 form requirements such as your unique form identifier along with the income code uh, chapter 3 or chapter 4 exemption code and stat status code so that's great and in addition to that for and that's really your for you office use only but you can also include on there clear instructions um, uh, determinations such as you know do presumption rules apply um, is withholding required why or why not add that in there and again those two are for office use only but there are a couple of other things that you can put in there for the vendor such as contact information which is good for any vendor US or non US so you can require an email address a remit address and then because they are a foreign vendor you can ask for other tax numbers such as VAT GST HST so there are additional fields that you can collect from the vendor and then there are additional fields that you can uh, have so that when you receive the form back your team members can fill it in as you want them to so that was great I just talked about four categories of fields that you can include on the substitute w8 form and there's probably more that you can think of based on your business needs but I also have some other examples of how it can help with efficiency in your processes and the first one I want to talk about is the W-8 BIN-E form. So let's say, and I know in my experience, you could definitely have a different experience in mine, but the companies that I have been with, the types of vendors that we set up in AP, they either needed to submit the IRS W-8 BIN-E or the IRS W-8 BIN. And the IRS W-8 BIN is one page. It's great. It's for individuals. But if you had a, a foreign vendor that was an entity, the IRS W-8 BIN-E form is eight pages long. And it would probably be a, a great benefit to you to create that substitute W-8 form if only just for the IRS W-8 BIN-E because if you reduce it from eight pages to one page and you send that to the vendor to complete, it's easier for the vendor to complete. They know what they need to fill in and you will get or should see a much higher return rate of that form. So that's not a bad idea if the only thing you wanna do with a substitute W-8 form is to create one to replace the IRS W-8 Benny. Now, the next thing is if you decide that you want to create a substitute W-8 form for all of the IRS W-8 forms, now the AP team member does not have to determine which 
IRS W-8 form to send to the vendor and the vendor doesn't have to determine which one to complete. And don't forget now that um, the vendors may not have dealt with a U.S. firm in the past and they may not know how to fill those forms out. So it's, it is very significant if you can make it easier for them to know what to complete. And also the AP team member as well, because I know best practice is that the AP team member should send all five forms to the vendor when they need to be set up as a vendor in your vendor master file. But the problem is, is that, like I said before, the vendor may not know which one to fill out and they may come back and ask the AP team member, well, which one is, is applicable? And if you have that substitute W-8 form, you don't have that back and forth and you don't run the risk of the AP team member not knowing how to answer that question. So again, it makes it easier for both the AP team member and also for the vendor. And one of the things that I actually did not realize until I did um, some research for the podcast and the blog is that you can actually translate the substitute W-8 form in a different language. So if you have foreign vendors that do not understand the form due to language barriers, and I have gotten that in the past, not over the uh, the W-8 form, but over some other forms that we created. But if you have some vendors that do not understand the form due to language barriers, you can translate your substitute W-8 form into another language. You just have to make sure that you create and keep an English version of the form. So those are some great benefits that can help with the vendor setup and maintenance or vendor onboarding process. It can help the vendor understand how to complete the forms and submit them back to you. And it can also help the AP team member dealing with the vendor, understanding what they need to send the vendor to complete, and then being able to um, avoid, or if they do get questions, being able to answer those questions by just referring to one form form. Okay, so that's all well and good, um, but what should you keep in mind? Because you know there always has to be an other side of it, especially with the IRS and especially when you're dealing with um, uh, foreign vendors and W-8 forms. So now that we know the substitute W-8 forms are allowed and there are some significant benefits, not only to the AP team, but also for the vendor, what else do you have to think about? Well, the first thing is, and you may already know this, but you probably already have a substitute W-8 form if you have a vendor self-registration portal that has an interactive W-8 or W-9 process. So that portal technically produces a substitute form W-8. Now, in my experience, the forms in those portals look like IRS W-9 forms, but they're technically not. They are recreated to look like the forms. So that they can understand that they are filling out a W-8 form or W-9 form. So you may already have that. And if you do, you still have to follow the same processes as if you were using a manual form, um, the electronic form from the IRS or the substitute form that you've created. And by the way, if you do have a substitute W-8 form that's interactive in your vendor self-registration portal, 
kudos because not a lot of the available vendor self-registration portals out there today have that feature. Okay, the next thing you should keep in mind is that those substitute W-8 forms still expire. So you still need to track expiration dates. I will put a link to my blog about tracking expiration dates in the show notes. The next thing is you need to make sure that those substitute W-8 forms are updated as the IRS updates their versions. So if you have that vendor self-registration portal, verify with your portal provider that any IRS updates actually make it to the portal. So typically the IRS will give a six month grace period when new forms are published. So just make sure that you or your provider are incorporating those updates into your form. So the next thing to keep in mind is you definitely want to document the procedures for the substitute W-8 form so that it can be easily updated. Actually, even better than that, so it can be easily located. And then once you locate it, it can be easily updated whenever it's needed. So I have been there and there is nothing worse than creating that perfect, critical, delicate form and the original creator leaves the team or leaves the company with the password to the critical fillable form in their head. That has happened and you have never seen someone grow gray hair faster than someone like me who is trying to find that password or even trying to find the form in our share, uh, shared folders so that we don't have to start from scratch when we have an update. So I know you've been there before. I have to, I put that here just as a great reminder because it's a small thing but it turns into a big thing. The other thing to include in your documented procedures is to make sure that someone checks for IRS updates on the W-8s on a regular basis, monthly or quarterly, because you don't want to miss the six-month grace period if there is an update. So the last thing that I think you should keep in mind, and I purposely save this for the last one because I think it is the most important, is that substitute W-8 forms may not work with all types of payments. So they work really well with non-financial payments such as rents or maybe royalties, but they don't work as well with financial payments such as interest or dividends and it has to do with FATCA requirements. So just make sure that you work with your tax professional to determine if it can be implemented at your company, if you really can use a substitute W-8 form for your vendors. So if you decide that a substitute form W-8 to replace one, 
two or maybe all of the IRS forms may be right for you or your company, ensure you work with your leadership and or your tax professional. A good place for you to start your review is this IRS publication. It's called Instructions for the Requester of Forms W-8-BIN, W-8-BIN-E, W-8-E-C-I, W-8-E-X-P, and W-8-I-M-Y, and it was revised 2018. That publication, I will have a link to it in my in the show notes. So start there. It'll give you a good idea of what fields you need to include from each form, and then you'll be knowledgeable to talk through that with your tax professional. And I am more of a process person. I am definitely not a tax professional. So I don't want to, I can't give you advice as to whether or not it's valid for your company and your industry. But what I can say is how is that going to help your process? Is this something that will help the accounts payable team? and the vendor onboarding or vendor uh, setup and maintenance process. Speaking of that, whether you create a substitute W-8 form or if you use the IRS W-8 versions, performing the validation on the information collected on the forms, such as the IRS 10 match, OFAC, um, et cetera, those are all ways to validate whether or not you're working with a real vendor. And that is the ultimate goal of collecting the information. Well, one is compliance. And two is you want to make sure that you're working with a real vendor and you're not putting fraudulent vendors or fraudulent vendor data into your vendor master file. You always want to protect the vendor master file from fraud and keep it clean. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 27th episode of Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for my blog posts and other resources mentioned in the podcast. Also check out my website at Deborah, D-E-B-R-A, R. Richardson. So that's DebraRRichardson.com. If you need help cleaning your vendor master file or protecting it from fraud. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. 